Section 41 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 43. Louis XIV, the Fronde, and the Government of Cardinal Mazarin. Part 4. Condé did not permit himself to be caught by the Queen's declarations. Of all the princes, he alone was missing at the ceremony of the bed of justice, whereat the youthful Louis the Fourteenth, when entering his fourteenth year, announced on the seventh of September to his people that, according to the laws of his realm, he, quote, intended himself to assume the government, hoping of God's goodness that it would be with piety and justice, end quote. The prince had retired to Chantilly, on the pretext that the new minister, the president of the council, Chateauneuf, and the keeper of the seals, Matthew Mollet, were not friends of his. The Duchess of Longueville at last carried the day. Condé was resolved upon civil war. Quote, you would have it, he said to his sister on repelling the envoy, who had followed him to Bourges, from the Queen and the Duke of Orleans, remember that I draw the sword in spite of myself, but I will be the last to sheathe it. End quote. And he kept his word. A great disappointment awaited the rebels. They had counted upon the Duke of Bouillon and Monsieur de Turenne, but neither of them would join the faction the relations between the two great generals had not been without rubs turenne had moreover felt some remorse because he being a general in the king's army had but lately declared against the court quote, doing thereby a deed at which le balafro and admiral de coligny would have hesitated says cardinal de retz the two brothers went before long and offered their services to the queen meanwhile conde had arrived at bordeaux a part of guienne saintonge and perigord had declared in his favour count d'arcourt at the head of the royal troops marched against la rochelle which he took from the revolters under the very beard of the prince who had come from bordeaux to the assistance of the place whilst the king and the queen resolutely quitting paris advanced from town to town as far as poitiers keeping the centre of france to its allegiance by their mere presence the treaty of the prince of conde with spain was concluded eight spanish vessels having money and troops on board entered the gironde Condé delivered over to them the castle and harbour of Talmont. The queen had commissioned the cardinal to raise levies in Germany, and he had already entered the country of Liège, embodying troops and forming alliances. On the 17th of November, Anne of Austria finally wrote to Mazarin to return to the king's assistance. In the presence of Condé's rebellion, she had no more appearances to keep up with anybody, and it was already in the master's tone that Mazarin wrote to the queen, on the 30th of October, to put her on her guard against the Duke of Orléans, quote, the power committed to his royal highness and the neutrality permitted to him, being as he is wholly devoted to the prince, surrounded by his partisans, and adhering blindly to their counsels, are matters highly prejudicial to the king's service, and for my part I do not see how one can be a servant of the king's with ever so little judgment and knowledge of affairs, and yet dispute these truths. The queen, then, must bide her time to remedy all this." the cardinal's penetration had not deceived him the duke of orleans was working away in paris where the queen had been obliged to leave him on the prince of conde's side the parliament had assembled to enregister against the princes the proclamation of high treason dispatched from bourges by the court gaston demanded that it should be sent back threatened as they were he said with a still greater danger than the rebellion of the princes in the return of mazarin who was even now advancing to the frontier but the premier president took no notice and put the proclamation to the vote in these words quote, it is a great misfortune when princes of the blood give occasion for such proclamations but this is a common and ordinary misfortune in the kingdom and for five or six centuries past it may be said that they have been the scourges of the people and the enemies of the monarchy End quote. 
The decree passed by a hundred votes to forty. On the 24th of December, the cardinal crossed the frontier with a large body of troops, and was received at Sedan by Lieutenant-General Faber, faithful to his fortunes even in exile. The Parliament was furious, and voted, almost unanimously, that the cardinal and his adherents were guilty of high treason, ordering the communes to hound him down, and promising from the proceeds of his furniture and library, which were about to be sold, a sum of five hundred thousand livres to whoever should take him, dead or alive at once began the sale of the magnificent library which the cardinal had liberally opened to the public the dispersion of the books was happily stopped in time to still leave a nucleus for the mazarin library meanwhile mazarin had not allowed himself to be frightened by parliamentary decrees or by dread of assassins re-entering france with six thousand men he forced the passage of pont sur yonne in spite of the two councillors of the parliaments who were commissioned to have him arrested the duke of beaufort at the head of monsieur's troops did not even attempt to impede his march and on the twenty eighth of january the cardinal entered poitiers at once resuming his place beside the king who had come to meet him a league from the town the court took leisurely the road to paris the coadjutor had received the price of his services in the royal cause he was a cardinal quote, sooner said he than mazarin would have had him end quote, and so the new prince of the church considered himself released from any gratitude to the court and sought to form a third party at the head of which was to be placed the duke of orleans as nominal head monsieur harried by intrigues in all directions remained in a state of inaction and made a pretension of keeping paris neutral his daughter mademoiselle de montpensier who detested anne of austria and mazarin and would have liked to marry the king had boldly taken the side of the princes the court had just arrived at blois on the twenty seventh of march sixteen fifty two the keeper of the seals mollet presented himself in front of orleans to summon the town to open its gates to the king at that very moment arrived mademoiselle the great mademoiselle as she was then called and she claimed possession of orleans in her father's name Quote, it was the apanage of monsieur, but the gates were shut and barricaded. After they had been told that it was I, writes mademoiselle, they did not open, and I was there three hours. The governor sent me some sweetmeats, and what appeared to me rather funny was that he gave me to understand that he had no influence. At the window of the sentry-box was the Marquis d'Alluy, who watched me walking up and down by the fossé. The rampart was fringed with people who shouted incessantly, Hurrah for the king! Hurrah for the princes! None of your Mazarin! I could not help calling out to them, Go to the Hôtel de Ville and get the gate open to me. The captain made signs that he had not the keys. I said to him, It must be burst open, and you owe me more allegiance than to the gentlemen of the town, seeing that I am your master's daughter. The boatman offered to break open for me a gate which was close by there. I told them to make haste, and I mounted upon a pretty high mound of earth overlooking that gate. I thought but little about any nice way of getting thither. I climbed like a cat. I held on to briars and thorns, and I leapt all the hedges without hurting myself at all. Two boats were brought up to serve me for a bridge, and in the second was placed a ladder by which I mounted. The gate was burst at last. Two planks had been forced out of the middle. Signs were made to me to advance, and as there was a great deal of mud, a footman took me up, carried me along, and put me through this hole, through which I had no sooner passed my head than the drums began beating. I gave my hand to the captain and said to him, You will be very glad that you can boast of having managed to get me in. The keeper of the seals was obliged to return to Blois, and Mademoiselle kept Orleans, but not without being able to effect an entrance for the troops of the dukes of Nemours and Beaufort, who had just tried a surprise against the court. Had it not been for the aid of Turenne, who had defended the bridge of Jargot, the king might have fallen into the hands of his revolted subjects. 
The queen rested at Guien whilst the princes went on as far as Montargis, thus cutting off the communications of the court with Paris. Turenne was preparing to fall upon his incapable adversaries when the situation suddenly changed. The Prince of Condé, weary of the bad state of his affairs in Guienne, where the veteran soldiers of the Count of Harcourt had the advantage everywhere over the new levies, had traversed France in disguise, and forming a junction, on the 1st of April, with the Dukes of Nemours and Vauphard, threw himself upon the quarters of Marshal d'Aquincourt, defeated him, burnt his camp, and drove him back to Blenot. A rapid march on the part of Turenne, coming to the aid of his colleague, forced Condé to fall back upon Chantillon. On the 11th of April he was in Paris. The princes had relied upon the irritation caused by the return of Mazarin to draw Paris into the revolt, but they were only half successful. The Parliament would scarcely give Condé admittance. President de Bailleul, who occupied the chair in the absence of Molay, declared that the body always considered it an honour to see the prince in their midst, but that they would have preferred not to see him there in the state in which he was at the time, with his hands still bloody from the defeat of the king's troops. Amelot, premier president of the court of aids, said to the prince's face, quote, that it was a matter of astonishment, after many battles delivered or sustained against his majesty's troops, to see him not only returning to Paris without having obtained letters of amnesty, but still appearing amongst the sovereign bodies, as if he gloried in the spoils of his majesty's subjects, and causing the drum to be beaten for levying troops to be paid by money coming from Spain, in the capital of the realm, the most loyal city possessed by the king, end quote the city of paris resolved not to make quote, common cause or furnish money to assist the princes against the king under pretext of its being against mazarin end quote. the populace alone were favourable to the prince's party meanwhile turenne had easy work with the secondary generals remaining at the head of the factious army by his able manoeuvres he had covered the march of the court which established itself at st germain Condé assembled his forces encamped around Paris. He intended to fortify himself at the confluence of the Seine and the Marne, hoping to be supported by the little army which had just been brought up by Duke Charles of Lorraine, as capricious and adventurous as ever. Turenne and the main body of his troops barred the passage. Condé threw himself back upon Faubourg-Saint-Antoine, and there entrenched himself at the outlet of the three principal streets which abutted upon Porte-Saint-Antoine, now Place de la Bastille. Turenne had meant to wait for reinforcements and artillery, but the whole court had flocked upon the heights of Charonne to see the fight. Pressure was put upon him, and the marshal gave the word to attack. The army of the Fronde fought with fury. Quote, I did not see a prince of Condé, Turenne used to say. I saw more than a dozen. End quote. The king's soldiers had entered the houses, thus turning the barricades. Marshal Ferté had just arrived with the artillery, and was sweeping Rue Saint-Antoine. The prince's army was about to be driven back to the foot of the walls of Paris, when the cannon of the Bastille, replying all on a sudden to the volleys of the royal troops, came like a thunderbolt on M. de Turenne. The Porte Saint-Antoine opened, and the Parisians, under arms, fringing the streets, protected the return of the rebel army. Mademoiselle de Montpensier had taken the command of the city of Paris. For a week past the Duke of Orléans had been ill, or pretended to be. He refused to give any order. When the prince began his movement on the 2nd of July, early, he sent to beg mademoiselle not to desert him. Quote, I ran to the Luxembourg, she says, and I found monsieur at the top of the stairs. I thought I should find you in bed, said I. Count Fiesque told me that you didn't feel well. He answered, I am not ill enough for that, but enough not to go out. 
I begged him to ride out to the aid of the prince, or at any rate to go to bed and assume to be ill, but I could get nothing from him. I went so far as to say, short of having a treaty with the court in your pocket, I cannot understand how you can take these things so easily. But can you really have one to sacrifice the prince to Cardinal Mazarin? He made no reply. All I said lasted quite an hour, during which every friend we had might have been killed, and the prince as well as another, without anybody's caring. Nay, there were people of messieurs in high spirits, hoping that the prince would perish. They were friends of Cardinal de Retz. At last monsieur gave me a letter for the gentlemen of the hotel, leaving it to me to tell them his intention. I was there in a moment, assuring those present that if ill luck would have it that the enemy should beat the prince, no more quarter would be shown to Paris than to the men who bore arms. Marshal de l'Hôpital, governor of Paris for the king, said to me, You are aware, mademoiselle, that if your troops had not approached this city, those of the king would not have come thither, and that they only came to drive them away. Madame de Nemours did not like this, and began to argue the point. I broke off their altercation. Consider, sir, that, whilst time is being wasted in discussing useless matters, the prince is in danger in your faubourg." She carried with her the aid of the Duke of Orléans' troops, and immediately moved forwards, meeting everywhere on her road her friends wounded or dying. Quote, when I was near the gate I went into the house of an exchequer master, or maître des comptes. As soon as I was there, the prince came thither to see me. He was in a pitiable state. He had two fingers' breadth of dust on his face, and his hair all matted. His collar and his shirt were covered with blood, although he was not wounded. His breastplate was riddled all over, and he held his sword bare in his hand, having lost the scabbard. He said to me, You see a man in despair. I have lost all my friends. Messieurs de Nemours, de la Rochefoucauld, and Clinchamp are wounded to death. I consoled him a little by telling him that they were in better case than he supposed. Then I went off to the Bastille, where I made them load the cannon which was trained right upon the city, and I gave orders to fire as soon as I had gone. I went thence to the Porte Saint-Antoine. The soldiers shouted, Let us do something that will astonish them. Our retreat is secure. Here is Mademoiselle at the gate, and she will have it opened for us if we are hard-pressed. The prince gave orders to march back into the city. He seemed to me quite different from what he had been early in the day, though he had not changed at all. He paid me a thousand compliments and thanks for the great service he considered that I had rendered him. I said to him, I've a favour to ask of you, that is, not to say anything to monsieur about the lash he has displayed towards you. At this very moment up came monsieur, who embraced the prince with as gay an air as if he had not left him at all in the lurch. The prince confessed that he had never been in so dangerous a position. The fight at Porte Saint-Antoine had not sufficiently compromised the Parisians, who began to demand peace at any price. The mob, devoted to the princes, set themselves to insult in the street all those who did not wear in their hats a tuft of straw, the rallying sign of the faction. On the 4th of July, at the General Assembly of the City, when the city's attorney-general proposed to conjure His Majesty to return to Paris without Cardinal Mazarin, the princes, who demanded the union of the Parisians with themselves, rose up and went out, leaving the assembly to the tender mercies of the crowd assembled on the Place de Grève. Quote, down on the Mazarin, end quote, was the cry, quote, there are none but Mazarin any longer at the Hôtel de Ville, end quote. Fire was applied to the doors defended by the archers. All the outlets were guarded by men beside themselves. More than thirty burgesses of note were massacred. Many died of their wounds. The Hôtel de Ville was pillaged. Marshal de l'Hôpital escaped with great difficulty, and the provost of tradesmen yielded up his office to Councillor Broussel. 
terror reigned in Paris, it was necessary to drag the magistrates to the Palace of Justice to decree, on the 19th of July, by seventy-four votes against sixty-nine, that the Duke of Orleans should be appointed, quote, lieutenant-general of the kingdom, and the Prince of Condé commandant of all the armies, end quote. The usurpation of the royal authority was flagrant. The city assembly voted subsidies, and Paris wrote to all the good towns of France to announce to them her resolution. Chancellor Seguier had the poltroonery to accept the presidency of the council, offered him by the Duke of Orleans. He thus avenged himself for the preference the queen had but lately shown for Molay by confiding the seals to him. At the same time the Spaniards were entering France, for all the strong places were dismantled or disgarrisoned. The king, obliged to confront civil war, had abandoned his frontiers. Gravelines had fallen on the 18th of May, and the archduke had undertaken the siege of Dunkirk. At Condé's instance, he detached a body of troops, which he sent, under the orders of Count Fuendalsagna, to join the Duke of Lorraine, who had again approached Paris. Everywhere the fortune of arms appeared to be against the king. Quote, this year we lost Barcelona, Catalonia, and Casal, the key of Italy, says Cardinal de Retz. We saw Brissac in revolt, on the point of falling once more into the hands of the House of Austria. We saw the flags and standards of Spain fluttering on the Pont Neuf. The yellow scarves of Lorraine appeared in Paris as freely as the Isabels in the Blues. Dissension, ambition, and poltroonery were delivering France over to the foreigner. End of section 41.